If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, friends, and welcome to In the Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen. As you know, I'm all about simplifying complex ideas and breaking them down into actionable takeaways. Like, how do I apply this big thing that you've taught me to my life? (laughs) And so today's guest, Dr. Marie Helene Pelletier, is here to help us do just that. Now, you'll hear me refer to her as MH, and mom and dad, I did get her permission to just use her initials, but (laughs) I'm excited because MH shares practical strategies that are deeply researched, and this positions her at the forefront of conversations around leadership, resilience, and workplace well-being. MH knows that workplace mental health strategies are crucial to ensure people are healthy and motivated and productive at work. She has the data to back it up, and she's skilled at creating these immersive in-person and virtual experiences that combine the data with real-world moments. I'm so grateful to have her on the show today and to talk about the importance of resilience in the workplace and how leaders and individuals can create a thriving, more sustainable work environment. I am so happy to have you here today, Marie. Well, MH, thanks for joining me. (laughs) Karen, it is a pleasure to be here with you and with all your audience. You mentioned earlier when I said, oh, I don't know. Can I call you MH? You said, well, it also stands for mental health. And I love how you are just living into that fully because this is such an important conversation. And it's one that we started to have a few years ago during the pandemic when we were kind of thrust into the conversation because we experienced this collective grief, this this one you know, moment in history, if you will, that united the entire world. And so I feel great, very grateful that we live during a time where we can have more conversations around our mental well-being and, and really our total well-being. But I am curious, now that we are further out from the, the pandemic, what are you seeing as some of the biggest challenges that professionals are just facing today in regards to resilience and taking care of their, their well-being? It, uh, it's a great, uh, it's a great question and an important re- reflection as well, because you're right. Uh, the pandemic became a very unique demand, and for many a stressor, for many uh, a chronic stressor, because it was over a long period of time. And even now, it's not completely uh, out of the picture. And so, even though we're out of the more acute phase uh, of this particular event. Other things are going on in the world that are impacting us at times very directly and also at times in an acute way and also in chronic ways. So if one of the useful potentially ways to think about this is, yes, this happened there and other things are happening now. And it's important, not only because that's the reality, that's the fact of it, but also because often as very capable, resourceful professionals and leaders, we think of ourselves as almost invincible. So Mm -hmm. purely logically, of course, we know we're not. We are humans. We do realize this. However, we act as if none of this is really impacting us that much. We need to be here for our business, for the others, for our team members, for our families, friends, everyone. And, And then we disregard or minimize Uh, the impact of these demands, the chronic world level ones, in addition to even the ones in our lives. And so 
even if through the pandemic, you're right, we've talked much more about our psychological health, mental health, resilience, the signs and symptoms if we're feeling impacted. Everyone could create these slides now. Yeah. Yet we're seeing burnout rates either the same or increase. So we have more information, we still have a lot of stressors, and we're not doing that much better, which is why we need to continue this conversation. Yeah, well, let's continue. <laughs> Actually, let's talk about that just in particular. We're seeing it increase. And gosh, I mean, the fact that we've had so many tools that were provided that are still available, even new ways of you know getting therapy you know, quicker downloads that will give you bite-sized information if you don't want to read a whole book. You know, there's just so many different accessible tools and resources that you would think, oh, it brought all of this to the forefront. It washed it up on our shore. But what are you seeing? Uh, so yes to all this. Uh, it almost then becomes you know, reading more about it or, you know, getting yet another email that tells you the 20 things you need to do to <laughs> optimize your resilience kind of thing. It almost, uh, it either at some points we blank it out because it's too much and we cannot handle it, or it becomes meaningless. We cannot possibly incorporate this in our lives because our lives are very full, overflowing at times. Mm -hmm. So people more and more uh, recognize the importance, the value. They recognize it has actually impacted them. They do trust the research that having all of these strategies in would probably be fabulous. However, realistically, there isn't any minute available. Mm -hmm. And if there is a minute, the only thing that sometimes feels doable is to read yet one more book or read you know, yet one more article or, or that kind of thing it still does not translate in actions. Yes. And the actions here is what would make a difference for you, for me, for each of us individually. And part of what I'm saying is, because I've seen it in my work, in my coaching work, in my psychology practice, I have this fabulous, extremely resourceful, capable, resilient, glorious individuals who come in and say, MH, I don't know what my problem is. I have the same amount of demands, incredible, as I've always had, yet I'm trending down now. And I can't seem to be doing all the things that I know I need to do. Don't tell me I need to exercise. I know it. Can't make it happen. And part of the answer is to make sure we look at your context, that we customize this. That's what I have found in my work and is backed up by many theories and research and all but there is there are ways to make this actually happen it needs to be customized that is a huge nugget right there because we all know that our fingerprint is different we're having a little more conversation to understand that our brain print is different everybody is completely different but that also means that our lives are completely different and the way that we utilize tools and take care of ourselves the ways that we create these pockets of peace or these ebbs and flows that help us to be in a healthier state it's going to look different for every single person maybe i'm having a reflective moment maybe that's why i like these little bite-sized actionable strategies i mean i live by them i teach them when i work with my clients that's how we start to see success is because i'm not giving them you know a two-hour workshop and saying oh, and this is where we're, we're like no let's break it down to ways that you can integrate 
a healthier habit into your day or a new pattern that's going to support your well-being. And I know you like to work in in bite sizes as well. So when you're thinking about customizing, uh, we'll say like a wellness plan, and I'm not saying that's how you know you uh, share your information or how you coach people, but from a, a broad general population perspective, if we were to think about how to implement small changes as a part of our wellness plan, do you have any suggestions on what the first couple of changes could be? Yes. Yes. I usually suggest a, a few angles that we need to look at before we can create a plan that actually will will stick because it will be customized. And to your point, it's going to be different for each of us. And it's going to be even different for each of us at different times in our lives. Yes. So, right. So your context, my context right now may not be exactly the same in six months. In fact, if we create a customized resilience strategy for ourselves today, let's say we use some of these concepts and implement them today, then highly likely in six months from now or less potentially, we'll be ready for an update to our strategy because we will have implemented these things. So right there, it will change over time. So we need to adapt it. We need to be agile with that plan as well. In terms of how do we get there, there are different angles, like I say. And just to create an analogy, which is a one that I initially just worked with my clients with, is because sometimes people would say, I know what I need to do. I'm not doing it. It's not working. Okay. And if I just said, but we need to take into account your context, they would probably <laughs> roll their eyes or just say, I don't have time for this. I'm age. But then I gave them an example from their work, their business. And then I, I'd say things like, okay, if you're launching, launching a new product or a new service here, are you going to have this fantastic idea and then just launch it or are you going to have this fantastic idea and look at the market? Who else is offering this? How much are they charging for it? Who is buying it? Which trends in the upcoming future may influence it? You're going to do this. You're going to look at this context, which is, is then going to shape how you launch and will increase the chances of this launch <clears throat> Excuse me, being successful. So same thing here which leads to, okay, so how do we do this? We look at your values, what's most important for you in life. We connect with this very directly, even more so. We connect with your current sources of demands, all of them, the positive ones, the ones you wish you didn't have, the ones on the personal side, the ones on the professional side, all of it, your sources of supply, which what gives you energy, and then elements of your context, much like, in business, we would look at sources of strengths, um, areas of weaknesses, opportunities and threats. Same thing here for our context. Because then with this in mind, we can create a plan. So I can give you examples if you'd like, but this is the overall approach I'm taking, which is actually surprisingly straightforward to implement, very effective, and leads to an actual do very doable plan. Mm -hmm. And so do you have any one or two habits that are your go-to when you are starting with clients? I know, no, because <laughs> yeah, I love uh, this. <laughs> I, because it so needs to be customized that, I mean, I hear what you're saying. 
we do know, for example, from research that if someone's like, oh, MH, I could do anything in the world, let's say whatever, they're, they have all the values in the world, they've got everything, everything, and therefore the only variable left is what kinds of directions for your resilience plan would you possibly consider? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we do know from research, everyone knows this, but we know from research, it's very, it's very supported, that ideally, yes, on a weekly basis, we would want a physical exercise, meaning cardio training, strength training, and meditative type activities. We know we would want to have good nutrition, immense impact on our psychological health, good sleep, seven to eight hours, time with people we enjoy spending time with. These are the four top, the highest level variables in the resilience equation. There are many others. Volunteer work. Uh, if you have a um, something you connect with from a spiritual perspective, you'd want to invest in this. So there are a number of other ones too. But again, I would start from the person's values, but assuming again that they have all the values in the world, then one possibility when they get to creating their strategic plan, just like any strategic plan, you would have, let's say, three main pillars. Usually you'd have three to five, but let's say three. It's a good number. And the pillars are basically high-level directions, right? So let's say you value health and friends and, and you know healthy work practices, for example, and we're aware of these variables, but you realize that you're doing none of it right now. Maybe one I've had that moment. <laughs> Same here, yeah. right? <laughs> Raise your hand. So, yeah. so maybe one pillar will be called health. And maybe under this pillar, realistically, because now I would have assessed, you know, really looked at the realistic availability in my life. Maybe mm -hmm. a concrete next action is a two-minute deep breathing before I eat my lunch. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we're not jumping to the five times a week, half an hour run, not possible right now. So, but that's a concrete action that realistically, I'm fairly certain I can implement at least once in the next five days. Mm. That would be one example. For others, it may be, maybe they'll have a health pillar. Maybe they'll have a relationship pillar, which could include making sure they connect with an additional person in their professional network or in their mm -hmm. personal network. Sometimes there will be a pillar I'm inventing here, but um, sometimes another pillar may be on having even better boundaries, which mm -hmm. let's say this individual is also a mom, has kids that come back from school while mom's working at their desk uh, in in the house, uh, which happens to me too at times. And, <laughs> and then realizing, okay, I value family, but when my child arrives, sometimes I'm in the middle of something. So I'm a bit like, oh, wait two minutes, I'm going to come out, uh, whatever. Maybe I can switch this, that if I'm not in a fabulous podcast right now, for example, it's, it's, it's just me working at my desk, I will actually interrupt myself mid-word to stand up, step out of my office and be with my child. That may be my next action. Mm -hmm. So it it's the connection between, so that's why, yes, we do know things from research, but we're not forcing that. We're looking at your values, your context, and very doable actions that then moves us into the technical term is active coping, which we know from research increases our self-efficacy, which then influences our beliefs in ourselves now and into the future, which we all need. Yes. And I, I really like this is, I think this is the biggest difference between 
reading a book or listening to a lecture or anything and actually doing it, it's really getting clear on, but what do I need? And how is this going to fit into my life? So I can't tell you how much I appreciate you saying, well, no, there isn't a first step. <laughs> there isn't a first couple of steps because for each person, it's going to be radically different. But here's another thing. As we were just talking about it, it, it dawned on me that we are talking about it from the individual owning their personal wellness and also thinking about, uh, okay, how can I we'll just say fill up my cup. How can I fill up my cup so that I am strong, so that I am capable, so that I'm alert, so I can show up as my best? Because I don't think for me, and please tell me if you have a different view, I don't think of resilience as just when huge life moments happen. Although that is when you're probably going to have to flex your resilience in a very mighty way. But I think of even the small disruptive moments, you know, how do we make sure those don't pile up and start to wear us down and, and take us down a, a path of burnout. But it's not just our own decisions. Sometimes there are things in our environment that can also get in the way. And so if I think about this from a workplace culture, one of the first things that comes to mind, especially because my background in HR, is there are probably some very common leadership mistakes that are getting in the way and can undermine resilience and well-being in a workplace. Things that maybe were traditional in older, uh, in different days of leadership, or could be just based on the, the culture of that workplace. Do you see any common leadership mistakes that can get in the way of people, you know, really wanting to take care of and actively taking care of their well-being? Yes. And love how you're uh, expressing this, that there will be factors that are outside of us. Because when we're looking at uh, our resilience, particularly in the work context, we are really operating in a system. There is us here as individuals. There's the team we're part of, sometimes leading and sometimes part of the team. Sometimes we're leading this one, but part of the other team here. And then there is the overall organizational culture, which influences all of this as well. So many variables and some of which that at times we can in part influence. Sometimes it's bigger than us and the influence, we may be able to influence it a little bit but it's so much bigger and requires so many other people also getting on board that this the speed of change may not be fast enough for what we need. So sometimes there will be this too. To your question in terms of, okay, examples of things we may want to pay attention to that would, I'll, I'll turn it into help with, with resilience, but the opposite would hinder it really, <laughs> so, right? You'd want to pay attention to workload. And I know. I'm saying this, and usually people are like, MH, the workload cannot change. Mm. We have to do what we're having to do. In fact, we should try to do even more with what I we know, have. Right? And faster. And faster, <laughs> exactly, right? So yes, and don't discard this one. It probably is the first one to look at. And it's not with the intention, the unrealistic intention to just oh, decrease the workload. I understand. Often the things that are on the list need to stay there for whatever Uh, reason. There are, but look for small cracks. Look for the 5% change that will feel like 20%. And some of the ways to do this is, for example, let's say, yeah, the workload these days is very heavy. Let's talk to the team, uh, or it could just be within ourselves, but let's say we talk to the team about in this particular 
uh, process or project, where is the largest irritant right now? Mm -hmm. What is the most stressful phase of this process? When this thing happens, everyone's more stressed out because it's important. We don't do it often, but when we do it, we know it's important. And then what can we do to smooth this a bit more? Get into the details of this part of the process. So sometimes it's putting a microscope on a section of it to improve the supports around it or change the process to then, okay, now we've decreased that irritant. Maybe it isn't one anymore. And that's mm. one of the ways to look at workload. Um, and there are others, but so workload is one. Uh, another one is to increase as much as we can recognition and reward. And I know sometimes we hear this, we all love it. We it sounds good instinctively, but research backs it up. It's not just a nice to have, sure, we feel good when we do it. No, no, no. It goes beyond this. It has roots that are much deeper. And I see you nod, you and I know. But it, it's interesting though, because even if even you and I know, do we do it as much as we could? Mm-hmm. Could we do it even more? Probably, yes. Right? Because how many times during a day do we think of a person we work with or a client we work with? This is so great what they just said, but we don't, you know, necessarily say it. Let's say it a bit more often. Right? That is yeah. part of it. And so that's another one. Uh, increasing influence uh, and opportunities for others in the team to provide an opinion, to help shape what we're doing. That's increasing control, which everyone loves. Plus, we'll all benefit from these additional ideas. Mm-hmm. Increasing the sense of community in this group. Often we think that the sort of social connectedness will happen on its own. It's great. Yes, it will. And if we create structures, we can likely support it even more, which everyone will benefit from. Mm-hmm. And so there are a few like this. These are some examples of areas that if we pay attention to, we're helping. If we're not, we're doing the opposite. We're just piling the workload, not discussing about it. Uh, we're just asking people to do more and not doing any recognition. We're calling all the shots, not asking anyone's involvements or ideas. Doesn't conduce to more resilience. All right, friends, we're going to pause for just a quick second to spotlight some folks who support the show. So we'll be back in just a moment. Are you ready to supercharge your life and get access to more opportunities than you've ever dreamed of? Then join me, James Whitaker, in the Win the Day Accelerator. Presented by Success, this entire eight-part program has been created to help you activate your winning life once and for all. You'll gain clarity on your goals and purpose. You'll learn how to quickly overcome challenges, and you'll get proven tips and frameworks that will deliver you big results fast in all areas of your life. So if you're ready to win, join me in the Win the Day Accelerator. To sign up, visit success.com slash WTD. NMH, what I'm hearing you also say is when you put the human part back into work and to leadership, I mean, even these things like recognition that are so small, but again, we're thinking about the next project, the next thing on our to-do list. We have very, very busy days that aren't just about the the email that's in front of us, but it's the to-do list that's running in our head as well. So we aren't putting things like recognition. I was smiling and, you know, almost laughing because it's one of the things that I recently wanted to be more intentional about, even with my son. 
And as a 12 year old, he is such a responsible kid. I mean, if I say, Hey, these are your chores on Saturday, he's waking up and he's getting them done. Like he just, that's. And so I wanted to make sure that these moments that I see him being responsible, that I don't take it for granted and that he doesn't feel like, Oh, this is just part of it, but actually that I appreciate him doing that. And, and that thought grew into a Monday morning and he was feeling like, I don't want to go to the school. And, you know, he had just been off from a week of having the flu. So he, he was actually still feeling even low with his energy. He gets out the car and I can see him, you know, a little bit shoulders rounded. And I said, Hey, I yelled out the window. I said, Hey, I really like your outfit today. And this big smile came up on his face. Now, before I was thinking, Oh, praise him just for responsibility, you know, give him that. But it actually grew into how many times do I see something that I like or love or appreciate or just want to like give a nod to? And I don't do that. And so in that moment, again, just to hopefully change his mood, which it, at least it left him with a smile on the face. And that definitely translates into all of our relationships, all of the environments where we're present. Give a little praise. I mean, don't you like to get a compliment? Of course you do. But certainly we like to get compliments, especially if it's tied to work that we've put into something, right? Attention, energy, all of that. So yeah, I was laughing because it definitely was something that's been on my radar recently. <laughs> well, and exactly. And that reminds me of that uh, uh, fairly famous piece of research that from uh, John Gottman, doc, Dr. John Gottman, who does a lot of research on, on couples relationships and has done quantitative research in this area showing uh, that um, in couples relationships that are healthy and last over time, the ratio between positive interactions to negative interactions, we know the number. So how many positive interactions do you need for, you know, one negative? Because there will be some, you know, eh, not so good conflict, whatever. So it's one in five. So we want five positive, one negative. And exactly to your example. So therefore, in our couple relationship, which we can broaden to friendship and others for sure, but the specific research is on couple relationship. Yeah, same concept. How many times you're thinking something positive? You know, you've said it three days ago. You don't need to say it again. Yeah, say it again. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it does tie to, I, I would like to just actually take a moment maybe and ask, how do you see, and maybe define is a good word, but how do you look at resilience? What does that look like in the workplace? Yes. And there are many different definitions Mm -hmm. when you look at the literature there, but one that's fairly common, and we can use it both for us individually and for our teams, Mm -hmm. but it's our ability to go through adversity and come out even stronger. Mm -hmm. And, And so that can be for us as individuals, for us as teams. And we use the word resilience, not just in psychological context, right? We hear sometimes about operational resilience. We've heard about it a lot in the context of the pandemic and even in other contexts as life continue to continues to evolve. And it's the same idea. It's sustaining obstacles, some that were predictable, some that were not, and coming out with either the same productivity or even more in the case of, say, an operation here. But it's the same idea. It's psychologically going through and coming out even uh, stronger, growing from it. 
And I feel like I should have asked that at the beginning of our conversation, but I, I wanted to interject it there because that is what helps us to understand how our well-being plays into our resilience. Because you want to, I mean, it, you, it's kind of like if you think about, I've never run a marathon in my life. Okay, we'll throw that out there first. But if you think about running a marathon, <laughs> along the way, they have people who are giving you water or giving you, you know, I don't know, Gatorade bars, or they're giving you some kind of fuel because it's a long road ahead. But you also see something else that's happening on those marathons. You see people for miles and miles standing on the side, cheering you on. You also have different markers that let you know, okay, how far along am I in this? So that what I'm saying is in that experience, there are all of these other things that help you to I like to say just keep your head in the game because I'm an athlete, but they help you to stay the course. And so that's how I kind of think about well-being playing into resilience. Those things that you do in your in your well-being for yourself and for others, especially as leaders, what we're doing for our team. But those things help to fuel you for the long road ahead. And you don't know at what mile you're going to get a cramp. You don't know when things are going to start to feel like they're breaking down. You don't know when that mental chatter is going to get the best of you or something else comes to, you know, disrupt the marathon that you're in. But the point is, is if you have those things along the journey that help you to remain fueled and focused, that's what is actually tying to that resilience. That's what's helping to, to uplift it. Yes. This great analogy. I actually did one marathon. I'm not ever doing another one, but I've done one. <laughs> and everything you just said makes sense. Uh, because yes, and I've, I've said this before as well, like, take the banana because that's another thing. Sometimes there will be like bananas there for some reason, not for some reason, there's a reason, but yeah, take it. Don't say, oh no, I'm fine. Because yeah, you could be hungry in a few moments. So yes, no, take, take the things as you go. And the analogy also continues with like when I did mine, uh, it was obviously my first, my only, <laughs> and it's there is a lot of people at that start line, like, you know, and, and being the first time you're like standing there waiting and all. And so you're chatting with people before, because even when it starts, it takes a long time before you're actually running and moving, <laughs> moving. So I ended up uh, striking a conversation with a very nice woman who was there as well. And we started running. And for the first part, I don't remember how long of it, but I ran with her as we were chatting, as runners often do, but her pace was slightly faster than mine. And at some point I realized I have to stop being with her because her pace is a bit faster and I'm not going to sustain the length of this overall run if I keep doing this. It probably impacted the rest of my run, even the fact that I did this, but it is also an, an analogy for mm -mm, need to be customized to you. You need to really follow your own precise uh, path, not trying. I was not trying to match. It just felt like it was mm -hmm. similar. No, 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 not similar. Mm -hmm. Each of us separate. Yeah. Needs to be your own pace, your own pace. Well, I think that if I understand right, that's why you have written this book, The Resilience Plan. So excited. Is this for people to find their pace and create their own plan? That's a, it, it moves in today's conversation in that direction. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. I'm bringing in the book, what we know from research, all the knowledge. Yes, it's all informing it. And I'm bringing what we know from strategy in business so that people can do their own reflection, people, specifically professionals, leaders, entrepreneurs who are dealing with tons of demands, both on the personal and the professional, and usually all at the same time, needing an edge 
to continue to get through and maintain their fabulous contributions. And as we've been talking about, that edge comes from customizing your plan. And so that's uh, that's what the book is because, yeah, I was doing this with a number of people I was working with and then realized, oh, and, and a number of them were saying, I wish I had approached things this way sooner. I mean, I'm glad that I am now, yay, but I wish I could have saved myself some pain and time and burnout potentially had I figured this out earlier. So, and one of the things I, I'm very much hoping is for the book to make its way in in, uh, in the hands of early entrepreneurs, early career professionals and leaders, so that they can have this information early. But for all of us, it's good to revisit at any point in time, and because we'll all need it at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about even how my life has changed. As you were talking about, sometimes what you need early on, it's going to change later, and so. I am sure without a doubt that it can serve any leader exactly where they are when they start reading it. As a matter of fact, I do believe in that divine timing. And so while while we hope that we get these tools earlier, sometimes life has a funny way of giving it to you right when you need it. And I have one more question that, that popped up as we were talking, because we do hope that we can get these tools and use them in a preventative way. For example, I found that gratitude is a great way to prevent scarcity mindset, right? It's not that I'm, before I was in scarcity and then I would use it to bring myself back into a place of, no, you you have a lot and everything is good. But now because it's a part of my practice, it, it is more of a proactive approach as is meditation. It real when I start my day with meditation, it absolutely sets the tone. Again, another proactive approach. But the reality is sometimes we find ourselves on the back end of a problem or a stressful moment, or burnout. So my question is, what would it look like? Are there any effective strategies, again, that would be customized to the individual, but are there any strategies for recovering from burnout and and recovering from the more you know, arduous journeys that take a lot out of us? And we're like, okay, I'm actually depleted. I, I Maybe I'm tapped out of resilience. I don't know, right? Are there any strategies we could use at that point? Yes, yes. Thank you for asking because most of us, either we've been exactly there or close to it, or we've known people or we may in the future. So it's it's useful for all of us to just be clear on, okay, what do we do in these types of situations? And I'm smiling because the first answer is going to be along the lines of still in a way customizing. What I would say is because when we're at the bottom of our tank, literally, it's even hard to think clearly, to actually see what's going on in an objective way. We're just so low that it impacts our ability to focus, to make decisions, to think clearly. And so for all these reasons, it's usually a good idea. And even if you're thinking, should I connect with someone or not? Yes, connect with someone. If you're not sure, that's a clear yes. Because worse comes to worse, think of it this way, you will lose one hour of your time. Okay, it's not not the end of the world. And you may need that outside perspective to ask you, check in with you, poke, to really figure out, is, is this a temporary situational moment that you'll pop out of? And here are ways to do that as effectively as we can. 
Or have you actually been sliding for even longer than you realized and you're impacted even more than you realized? And therefore, you actually need very specific resources, which exist. They are all there. We know from research and practice what to do, but we want to get them to you. Right? We need these resources. So I would say first response on this is if you're not sure, check in with someone. They'll ask you all the questions. And usually that I often recommend checking in both on the physical health side, like your physician or a nurse practitioner, um, because sometimes things going on on the physical health side impact what looks like psychological, but it's actually physical, like an iron deficiency that. will bring your energy down in ways that, you know, feels psychological, but actually it is physical and it's a relatively easy, easy fix. So we want to check on the physical and on the mental health side, possibly say with uh, any registered mental health professional on that front. And sometimes I'll say, if you're working with a coach, start with your coach, bring it up here because your coach will also recommend to you. If They'll know if it's outside of the coaching range and if it looks like it's in the health range and refer you. So yeah. the point is go to someone so that you start this conversation yeah. on our own, immediate, like it's a situation, it's right now, what can I do right this second that may help? Deep breathing. Yeah. That is the fastest, this is the language that our brain understands the fastest. Telling yourself to calm down is probably not going to do it, <laughs> but <laughs> we've tried. But starting with getting all the air out entirely until there's nothing, and then slowly back in. In a moment, doing this five times, it's not going to fix everything. It's not, but we're not looking at immediate things that may help. That may start at least calming the alarm center in your head long enough that you can hear yourself think and then see what you need to do next. So that's a very extremely immediate term thing to consider, but that's an example of something we can try. It will not Hurt. It will either do nothing or help. So it's worth yeah. trying. <laughs> it's better to try than to just stay stuck, right? <laughs> oh, thank you so much for this conversation. I mean, we could talk for hours diving deeper into so many of the gems that you left with our audience, but I'll just leave you all with this. Go get the book, The Resilience Plan. You definitely want this on your shelf because if you are a leader and if you do care about your, it's not even just your leadership and the way you're touching people, but if you care about your well-being and the well-being of those around you, then you're going to get a lot from this book that is going to help you. MH, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate your energy and everything, especially your dedication to this work because it's much needed. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Karen. And your dedication as well. It was great speaking with you. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.